Hey y'all, you know I only promote products and brands that I really want to support. And that means I don't just take sponsorship for anybody. But this episode of The Real Dirt is sponsored by my good friends at Left Coast Wholesale. Some of you may know them as the geoplanners and may use geopots in your gardens, but man, they've got a lot of other really cool products. I'd like you to stop in one of my stores in Denver or Oklahoma and check out. Uh, their latest product, Geoflora, is one of my favorite organic products. It's, it's really complex uh, nutrient. It's really easy to use. You just, you know, toss it on the top of your pots by hand and water it in and it really produces great product so if you want to find out more about left coast wholesale check out their website their instagram or their facebook now let's get to the real dirt Once again, you have reached the real dirt. On today's dirt, I have some very special guests, uh, Ted Matejo and Gunnar Hurd. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the international cannabis marketplace. Most of you um, that uh, listen to this epi these episodes, you're, you're from America, you're from North America. Even though we have a large European contingent, lots of people from the Netherlands, from South America, from Great Britain, uh, listen to this show. And, and uh, uh, many of you are going to find this uh, episode really interesting. Um, Ted and Gunnar are both involved in some large uh, cannabis operations in Europe and South America. Uh, and, you know, it's, this is going to be a, a slightly different aspect on this show than we've had in the past. Ted, uh, t t tell, me, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Uh, yeah, man, we've been working on some projects internationally, you know, coming out of the American market, you know, uh, focused between Europe, Latin America. Here lately, I've been quite a bit into Latin America. Spent a lot of time in Colombia, understanding some of the different dynamics for the export market there. Uh, we just got the law pushed through in Paraguay. And, you know, the, the thing with these other countries are they want to engage in this market and they're set up economically to do it in a, a very good way but you know coming in there and advising with these countries the government the officials and the companies that are coming in on how to set this set the market up in the industry where it's sustainable long term but also building the uh, facilities production for manufacturing and export in such a way you're, you're dealing with some really high standards and uh, Q&A which is a uh, very it's a very integral part to get it into the international marketplace and distribute and export out through GMP, GACP type uh, standards. Um, it's, it's a human consumption product, uh, product and it's medical. So building this, these facilities and infrastructure behind it that is highly regulated, you're able to be accepted into these high-end markets as somewhere like Europe or Asia per se um, and you know eventually one day maybe importing into the US as the future you know laws open up and the regulations change now so we all we all think of uh, modern cannabis and ganja being US uh, oriented uh, but things are going on all over the world and and Gunner here is is uh, he works with a, a very large uh, facility in Denmark uh, to tell us tell us what's going on in Denmark well, uh, in the start of 2018, uh, we got a really, really good group together, went ahead and got one of the first licenses in Denmark, um, built out a 31,000-square-foot GMP-focused facility, um, a beautiful facility, it ran like a top um, during my tenure there, and we had a really good time doing it. Uh, it was a really educational experience for all of us involved, and uh, we learned a lot about the European and international cannabis marketplace in the process. So, so... 250,000 square feet? Uh, 32,000 square feet. 32,000 square feet. And these are, this is an indoor facility? This is all indoor. Yeah, all that's, indoor. That's my specialty is indoor, indoor cultivation. All right. And, and, you know, Gunnar, you're, you're awful young. I, I mean, am, I'm, yeah. I'm not discriminating. I'm not discriminating against anyone over their age, but like, I don't know. What are you, 15? Uh, 12 and a half. And growing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
No, you're, you're 27, 28 years old, right? I'm 26, actually. 26 yeah. years old. Uh, uh, Gunner has has been growing in a 32,000 square foot facility in Denmark that's uh, GMP focused. Now, most people consider, most people, what they know about growing cannabis is, uh, you know, growing some clones or seeds in the dirt, but a GMP focused facility, explain to us what that is. Uh, the GMP side of things, it's mainly quality assurance, mainly quality management. Um, and what that means is we have to be uh, very, very strict on our paperwork, very, very strict on our processes, our SOPs. Um, we have to make sure that everything, and when I say everything, I mean everything, is documented. Um, from the source of our inputs, from you know the businesses that we do business with, they have to be GMP certified as well. Um, it, it's a very strenuous process, but I think that um, the benefit of, of getting a GMP certification within a cannabis business is is endless so you know when you say you have to document everything it like like seed to sale documentation or everything everything so let's let's have an example the what, what type of medium are you growing are you guys cocoa your guys growing in cocoa okay so your cocoa supplier has to be a, a gmp cocoa supplier now i didn't get that far with it um i believe in the future that that's probably going to have to you know, be something mm-hmm. that we're going to look forward to um, seeing in a GMP setting. Um, but no, I actually, I imported my cocoa um, from America. Um, you know, being in a new country, um, more or less doing something in that country that most people have never thought about doing. They don't have a lot of products available for you uh, as a cannabis grower, believe it or not. And but the Netherlands is right next door. The There's... Netherlands is right next door. Um, you're absolutely right with that. But Denmark has uh, probably the strictest import export laws as far as agricultural agricultural products um for instance i can't even import microbes into denmark you can import import microbes no well yeah actually that's that's not uh uncommon in the u.s there's even still regulations on that type of stuff because people feel it could be like chemical warfare or biological agents and it kind of is it's you know it kind of is right that it's towards the soil or the plants absolutely uh it's just just a list of challenges that you have to go through um, setting up in a new environment. Now, are, are you are you are you just producing uh, a flower? Are you vertically integrated? Do you you grow seed to extract? So the way Denmark uh, has their cannabis pilot program set up, it's a lot similar to our pharmaceutical industry here. Um, product gets grown, product gets manufactured into cannabis intermediates, and product goes directly to pharmacies, um, where doctors have to prescribe directly to patients. They go pick it up. Um, the government even covers about half of it, I believe, um, and, the, and the, they're fighting to get more of that covered. So the government is actually paying for their wheat. It's a really, really nice thing. Shoot, that's great. So, so it's, it's flour. They're uh, getting flour from the dispensary or extract? Right now, you're not seeing a lot of dried GMP flour products in Europe. Um, so the focus with most of the companies out in Denmark is uh, tablets, uh, oils, tinctures, things of that sort derived from flour. Um, but yes, flour will be rolling out. Um, that's that's obviously the end goal, um, moving flour around all the European countries and in and out of Canada, things like that. Um, but you're just not seeing a whole lot of it yet because the process is so strenuous. So are the laws there, do, do, you're able to export it to other countries? Once you, once you achieve that GMP certification, yes. Um, you, can, you can export it to all EU countries and any other countries that has a medical footprint um, that will allow you to import high THC or CBD products. Ted, now you were one of the first people that, that spoke to me about GMP and ISO certification for, for grows. Most people just have talked about them for uh, extraction and processing facilities. Man, t- t- tell, tell me and the listeners what this really means, what it stands for. Well, as, as far as, you know, the uh, GACP and, and GMP, it's, it's really a set of standards all the way in a contest where gunner with on the cultivation side it goes to all the way down to how your air conditioner units are wired and hooked up how your failure rate and what are your processes and absolutely and data log data logging is huge every piece of data has to go into that batch record if your if your ac variant is is a half a degree celsius um, it's got to be logged in there and it's got to be able to go back and see okay well on uh, october 18th at 9 a.m we had uh, a five a five percent variance in the um air conditioning or the HVAC, um, which caused our environment to do this. This change in the environment 
is going to cause this change on the product. Um, and it, it's, it's that strenuous. We have to, we have to chase everything down like that. But man, it's just a weed, man. Shouldn't it just grow free? Yeah, it grows but, itself, right? That's what I keep hearing. I just don't know why we spend all the time weed, in these gardens if the, uh, if the plant just grows itself. And you look at it like it is just a weed. And I agree, like Chip, you and I, we, we go way back on, on this and this industry. But as you've seen it grow, and a lot of us growers kind of didn't see the need for this per se, and not really was against it. But over the years, and, and you go into, you know, you see large companies taken into this industry, and, and, and you see what's going on in the news right now where people are dying from vaping, and it's traditionally coming from the black market. When you don't, when you have all these procedures and and fail safes in in way, which is you know GMP and your Q and A and those type, you're able to alleviate where where error goes. So we always there's no there's no uh, variation at the the end product. The consistency is all the same. And when you're looking at a consumer product that's going into somebody, where they're digesting it, inhaling it. And anyway, it's going into the body. There, there's uh, checks and balances in place from every food product in the, in the world. We, there's checks and balances, and you know this type of th these types of things in this industry are actually advancing us. And, and I, I agree. It's advancing. Agree. We fought it for years, but this is it's actually a really good thing for the it, industry. It, it, the end goal of all of it is to make sure that the consumer has a 100% consistent product every single time they go to pick it up. So, are potato chips made in GM? P facilities. Oh, I'm sure they've got some kind of testing that come into <laughs> for sure. <laughs> no, I was just trying to bring up the point that, like, uh, you know, but but There's we're not. But food isn't regulated in this manner. I mean, cannabis is more regulated than food. Uh, we, as far as America goes, you go into the EU side of it. Their food's quite highly regulated. That's the reason some of our products don't ever make it over there. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Uh, what 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 about like uh, uh, other inputs like fertilizers and and pest control methods like how, yeah, how does COAs that... are big you have to have uh, all of the facilities signed off on um, by the quality assurance team um, it, it's like I said guys it's strenuous we really got to make sure our paperwork's in point on point um, to grab these ISO GMP GACP certifications um, I'm a little more familiar on the GMP side rather than the GACP side, but I believe a lot of the cultivation will have to move towards that GACP eventually. Right. Uh, so, so tell me, tell me, explain your facility to me, because you know uh, I'm sure some people are out there like a little confused. It's like, okay, it's a thirty-two thousand square foot indoor facility that sounds like it's a laboratory. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the that's the impression that we make on a lot of people um, when they see the the projects that our group builds. Um, we've got a really, really, really bang up team. Um, Dan, our CEO. Um, for this next project that we're working on. Um, lifelong construction expert. Um, he's built some really, really cool stuff over the years. So we have uh, you know, people that are cultivation-centric. We have people that are construction-centric, business-centric. Uh, and we're able to put together some really, really cool projects because of that. Um, so walking into our facilities, you know, it, it feels more like uh, you're walking into a doctor's office, Apple store vibe, you know, clean room, facility. Um, you know, you have to gown up and down just to walk in and out of the offices. You've got to make sure all your feet are covered, your hands are covered, your hairs are covered. Um, and, and, and that the level of, of gowning and, and clean room procedures actually just gets uh, more strenuous as you go through the facility. Um, we, we try to, we try to mitigate any, um, foreign, um, contaminants getting in and out of our, our environments. And, and to do that, um, you have to design the facility a certain way. So when you walk in, I guess that was your question. Um, yeah. What's it like? Um, well, I like everything white. Um, that's, that's just something that we like to do. Um, we like to make it look really, really clean. Actually, we had the... Uh, I'm our, all black in my grow room. Yeah. <laughs> I, like to, I like to be green in mine. <laughs> I like green to come out the other end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but it's... it's uh, I've got some pictures. I'm sure you can throw them up for, for everybody to oh, see. Oh, great. Yeah, um, yeah. Everybody check it out. It'll, this will, we'll get some great pictures from you. It'll be on the realdirt.com or on our Instagram, realdirt Instagram. 
Yeah, it, I, I can sit here and describe it to you guys all day, um, but it's just a big white facility full of a lot of green happy plants. Do you, do you have uh, multiple flower rooms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always try to, you know, I think that, that running multiple bays mitigates loss, um, also helps with labor really really helps with labor um you're able to you know d divide up that harvest divide up that transplant um labor into a manageable team you can run smaller teams um rather than have uh, a huge labor force um for you know one day a month what's the size of a bay uh and and we're, we're growing our base uh ever since we left the prop 215 market our base have been just getting bigger and bigger and bigger um right now uh the facilities that we've done they're right around 2,000 square feet, 2,200 square feet, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more towards, we're leaning more towards, you know, that, that five to 10,000 square foot base size um, in our future projections. Mm -hmm. And uh, are, are you guys on 600 watt lights, 400 watt lights? No, I, I run a thousand watt uh, high pressure sodium bulbs in veg and flour. A lot of guys aren't doing that, um, but we found through uh, trial and error that, you know, we're running less bulbs. Uh, plants are really, really, really loving it. We're getting a really fast veg, um, nice structure, really, really good internodal spacing, which a lot of guys that, you know, they say, oh, you can't, you can't get great internodal spacing on, uh, mm, on high pressure true. sodium and veg. Um, we're rocking that. I mean, even stringy OGs, really, really tight internodals. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So uh, it's it's Gavita double-ended lights. That's what you guys are using. Yeah, we have we have been right. running uh, Gavitas in the past. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is common now. It used to be that that people had separate lights, separate bulbs for veg, and people still do. But I would say the majority of the people have a small veg that might have special lights, three fifteens or, or converted metal I love halides. Those 315s. And oh man, that, I love that's those technology 315s. going on right now. That's and and for sure. I think I think a lot of that is is centric to the end product you have to remember um you know we there's a lot of different ways to grow this plant there's a lot of different um there's a lot of different goals for growing this plant a lot of people you know in certain marketplaces grow for extracts well uh, a vertical grow an led grow that's amazing for extracts um, but if you're looking for quality flowers um, that the consumer is going to talk about, rave about, that people are going to yeah. know, well, I think that the high-pressure sodium bulb really um, is really the winner. I, I haven't seen – I mean, LEDs have come a very, very far away, but I just haven't seen uh, a lot of them keep up um, and, and with, with the, you know, the structure, the, um, you know, the, the density, the, the resin production that we're getting out of those high-pressure sodium bulbs. Yeah, you – LEDs the new hot shit for sure. Uh, I have more people ask about LEDs and living soil at Cultivate Garden Supply than pretty much any other question right now. Um, but a, a, it, it has its place. It definitely is appropriate um, technology. But me and Ted were just speaking last week about vertical grows and LEDs, and we spoke to someone who's really interested in putting in like a, a 50,000 square foot vertical LED grow, and both me and Ted were trying to talk the guy kind of out of it. What, what are the problems we've seen in the past, Ted, with, with this LEDs and vertical grows? When you, when you do these vertical grows, especially on that level in infrastructure with the type of LEDs you need to get that production out, the skill level to run and operate one of those gardens, it's up there. And it's, it's really expensive. It's very difficult to the get setup, started. The setup up. cost is very yeah, expensive. Yeah, that and, you know, you're talking about... I mean, those about, fixtures are just south of 2000 bucks a piece, right? Yeah, you're looking exactly. at PhD horticulturists to really get these things. The trial and error and the learning curve to get it optimal is, is difficult for people, especially with, uh, you know, the cost of what cannabis is today than worse what it used to be. You have to be on top of your game, and mm -hmm. when you look into certain places or people talking about it, it really feels like it's a smoke and mirrors because it, it, there's a wow factor. It is beautiful. It looks amazing, and the efficiency of it, the math of it, sounds yes, incredible. Everything, and if you're not completely bound by like brick and mortar and like energy. It's hard, it's hard to justify it. I know there's a, you know, we all want to be green, better for the society. I'm, I'm a big proponent of trying to do zero net waste as much as possible. But the output, I mean, I've seen a really nice one um, in, in Vegas with, uh, I believe it was a company of Franklin Bioscience. 
it was amazing and their outputs were i mean of something I've incredible never seen off the it's charts, incredible off the charts right when people hit it yeah but most people can't they, hit it that's the problem. right their rooms aren't full all the time the labor cost for vertical garden is 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 incredible the skill right? level to run it you know what was organization really, what was really unique with the, with a couple of my seeing you know was the nutrient uptake and how often you were feeding these and the, this this one i was in and uh six by six rockwool cubes beautiful clean amazing grow they were watering these things 10 times a day and i couldn't believe it and it was because of the nutrient uptake through the led lights so when they're on point they're on point but it's it, it's hard for an everyday user. I mean, I mean cost per square foot of a vertical garden is 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 it's incredible. You know, it really reminds me of when I was a kid. I wanted a Volkswagen Carmen Ghia, and I got one. Right, and I was looking at all the hot rod VW magazines and talking to my dad about it. And I was like, I want to build a you know. 2200 cubic inch engine blah 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 double carburetors and this and that and the other <laughs> and my dad was like he's a really smart guy he said you know that's for people who are racing these things and they're taking them apart every weekend and you know it, it that are really mechanically inclined and they'll run great you need a daily driver right and i didn't quite understand that so of course i tried to build this hot rod you know car and it didn't work and uh we went back to like single carburetor uh you know a regular gear shifter and uh then it was a great daily driver right yeah. my dad was the same way i wanted a nice car and then the building work on it when it's broke down my dad looked at me and he said hey if you're tired of walking run and when you get tired of running you'll be glad to walk so at least you had something that would run <laughs> yeah we, we we do we do accept uh, accept that same mentality you know as the carmen Gia. We, we we try to uh when we design and build these facilities we try to make as few moving parts as possible uh, because at the end of the day ted touched on a little bit before um you know downtime is everything um you will bleed out very 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 rapidly when you have downtime yeah. and if you know if you're not putting fail safes in place in these facilities uh, you know you're just doing yourself and your business a disservice um, you've got to make sure that you know if one ac goes down you have another to, to run at half speed then the lights make sure that you're, you're keeping everything in photo cycle uh, and, and the same goes for you know a gear shift on a carmen gear um, <laughs> you know the 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 simpler the better keep it simple stupid so, do uh, you guys, back to the vertical guarding, do you guys do any vertical vegging? I'm, I'm moving towards a lot of that right now. Um, I just left Los Angeles and did um, a consult in, in, uh, in the Valley in West Hollywood, and, and that's what I designed. I designed the guy uh, a vertical grow um, for the, just for the veg portion. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty loyal to mm -hmm. those high-pressure sodium bulbs. He's growing for, you know, quality um, smokable flour, dried flour. So... Um, I wanted to make sure that he could maximize his flowering space, so I did. Yeah, I, I have been um, um, dabbling with it, uh, actually, on other people's dime through the consulting projects that we've been working on, um, and and it's looking really good. It's looking Man, really good. Vegetative growth vertically Amazing. just totally makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's really easier. easy to put in. It's, it's a lot easier yeah. and simpler to go at. It. Absolutely on that side, but when you, it's difficult on the flower side. Yeah, uh, harvesting this plant. It's a beautiful process. It's a strenuous process. Imagine that three levels up, guys. Yeah, no doubt. With four, <laughs> yeah, with, with four clips or ladder I'm, stairs. I'm, I'm or, falling over cutting colas, guys. I mean, uh, standing on the ladder on that third tier. It's just not the thing to do. Right. I mean, all strange Osho, grow differently. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and with strange, this growing, with, with strange growing differently and how different genetics stretch, I mean, obviously you can dial that down to the best of the situation you're going into. But if you want to, if you want to diversify and, and keep changing, there's a lot that goes sure. in that vertical side. Because all the plants don't grow the same, and uh, when you put it into a vertical system, then you have to like choose the plants that will grow right. inside your right. your vertical garden. But to an extent, you have to do you have to do that with high pressure sodium as well. You know, you want to make sure that yeah, absolutely. That, you know, unless you're unless you're running a variable bulb height, um, which a lot of people are. Um, 
I like less moving parts. We like less moving parts. And now most of the grows we put together, it's everything. All the lights are mounted at one spot. Yeah, that's how we like to do it. That's how. That's how we like. That's to do a it. lot of the ones I've seen are done the same way. You get a good light. That's of what you need. You get the right distance, and it's it's stationary. And, and more importantly moving. than that, it's the process. You got to make sure that that everything is the same start to finish from your sure. first grow to your last grow. If you have quality product, obviously, if you know you're lacking in quality, you're lacking in yield, you have to make tweaks. Uh, but when you have once you have that process down, you know exactly your plant height. You know exactly your canopy um, and your footprint for that light I, I don't see any problem uh, mount, mounting them hard mounting to the roof to the ceiling to you know to approve structures no as long as you have uh, uh, enough lights where you get the amplification of light as long as you do a, a good uh, a light design and you know we do those at cultivate um, garden supply every day for people it, it makes sense if you got one light yeah. raise and lower it yeah absolutely. right if you've got a hundred lights spread it out to the maximum possible area that you can raise it to the maximum possible area you can and uh, I know many people are going to tell us about the huge colas they get when they drop their lights down on top of it and that's totally true okay. but uh wow it's really easier if you got a hundred lights yeah. Not to do that. <laughs> yeah, the old, uh, what are they, the Lumi Loops. Um, I, I, I remember, uh, are the Lumi Pulleys, Lumi oh, Lovers. Oh, God, uh, dude, some of those, the first generation of that stuff was just awful. Going up and down, once a week in flower, all the time in veg. Uh, I don't miss those days, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but we, we have to move on, we have to evolve, we have to get bigger and better. And, uh, yeah the uh the lowering and raising the lights it's i think it's going to be a thing in the past here shortly you know they have a lot of a lot of guys are running winches and electronic stuff electronic stuff but um oh, i seem incredible in innovations over it right but i don't know i, I guess you got to want to do it we we have a we have a benchmark we try to keep our canopy between um our micro mole levels are perfect in that in that uh in that margin of error um if we over veg under veg obviously that's going to change um yield to be affected a little bit but you stay in your margins uh, and run a clean, run a clean, tight ship. Um, you, you're going to do great. So uh, let's talk about exporting cannabis internationally. Sure. Um, uh, I mean, this isn't a new thing. First uh, cannabis I bought was bricked up Mexican weed, I'm sure, <laughs> or bricked up Colombian weed uh, back in. Uh, uh, wow, probably 1986. Before I was born. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the weed was so much better than Gunner. Oh, you missed it, bro. Uh, we used to buy it bricked up. It was square. It fit in boxes really well. And, you know, you get a little Altoids tin and put an ounce of weed in it. <laughs> and it got you really, it, it got you like dumb stoned, you know? That's where you could actually smoke it and you'd just sit on the couch and do nothing. <laughs> just stare at the wall. So let's talk, let's talk about this fascinating opportunity that's showing up in the world. I mean, Thailand's talking about opening up their borders. Colombia, Paraguay, Chile, Ecuador, throughout South America, Africa. Uh, I mean, it's going on all over the world. All of the, the previous ganja centers of the world are now talking about getting back into the ganja business. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you know, you're seeing it happen everywhere. I think... We're at almost 40 countries in the past two years have implemented some sort of marijuana policy. Um, a lot of the stuff is is research-based, but it's kind of the way that it's, it's your entry level in. We start here, we open up these research licensings with maybe some mild import or export, and then it usually becomes the incumbent for something bigger, which is something we've seen, just like the States. It, it, it starts here and it slowly progresses into the right way. Um, it's really interesting that, you know, with a country, you don't have to deal, it's federally illegal at that point. So you don't have these different lines in between the country and different states or provinces that you have to navigate, that you do, that we have, we have to deal with every day into the states. So it sometimes makes it a little easier to get set up and make it move, but you still find the same hurdles because you're going into a new country, it's foreign, Every country has their own policy, own regulation, and how they want to do it. We used to, we're still trying to uh, influence or mold these laws in such a way that allows it to open up and where we can export. But you want to set up these, you know, Q&A. That's where these Q&A standards come in so that other countries that are still cautious about that are able to accept it. Some more like EU, Denmark, and stuff. So... Um 
you know, what's brought this international marketplace really is Canada. This past year, Canada Absolutely. federally legalized cannabis. And, and one of the things they did was they opened up uh, international um, uh, uh, importation and exportation of, of product in Canada. Now, many people thought that immediately Colombia was going to take over all of production of uh, uh, ca Canadian cannabis. Is that happening yet? Well, no, you know, Colombia, is, it's, it's a really unique model, and it should be a lot more successful than what it is. But there are some regulatory constraints about how you have to bring the pro how you have to get your seed and import your seed in the registration part of getting that registered, and then you have to do a, a cultivate of it to validify the strain that you grew in before you can expand your production. The second kick to this is quite a quite a few people got into the Colombian market, and what you realize is it's unlimited scalability if you have the product sold before, similar to a commodities. You, you have to have the product sold a year into advance. Um, Colombia at one point was looking to you know, be the world leader of the single largest exporter, but what we've seen over the past few months is, and don't quote me on, on the actual um, acronym, but it's basically the equivalent of the DEA for the UN, and these countries are signed into this UN treaty, each country has a certain allotment of cannabis, medical cannabis, that they're allowed to export out of the country. Colombia, I believe, was over 40 tons of the past years allowed, but due to the fact that there hasn't been that much product leaving, that number's down to one ton this year. So that shifts the model, and that's kind of what you see even in the stock side with some of these bigger companies and where the stock prices started dropping because they're so heavily invested into the Columbia side and that made that model. So there's, you do have those hiccups and it, it is something that needs to be addressed. Well, yeah, one ton, metric ton, that's not that much. You can grow that in your backyard. Why, okay, all day long. Right, why would, uh, why would someone import that into their country? Economies of scale is cheaper. It's cheaper, the same quality we're, we're producing. You're, you're able to, I say we, but we're able to produce this and the, one of the most perfect environments, which is that South America market. I mean, that South American territory with the soil, it's some of the richest soil in the world. You can look this up. You got the perfect lighting schedule. It's agriculture and you're producing. Colombia has been growing good weed for a long time. For sure, absolutely. They just needed the infrastructure behind it. And, you know, going to a lot of countries, you see even their swag weed, it looks good for doing nothing and having no technology and really the real know-how to do it. And you know, if you just put a basic little infrastructure on it, have them harvest it correctly, because I'm big on Harvest that. it, store it so correctly, package it correctly. Harvest, dry and cure. We've all seen beautiful gardens be ruined at that very last week. Pulled a week early, dried in two or three days, uh, manhandled, uh, you know, just, just destroyed, really. I think it's 95% plus of the quality of cannabis. I mean, the harvest... No, you're right. It's just... You know, we're, we're here in Atlanta, and yesterday I, I, I spoke to the uh, Medical Association of Georgia, and that was one of the things people asked. It was like, well, well, isn't, you know, cannabis so much stronger today, and doesn't that make it, you know, uh, uh, dangerous? And, you know, really the answer to that is no, it's not really stronger today. It's our techniques and technology is just so much better. Right. We're able to, we're able to uh, achieve that phenotypical potential out of uh, almost any cultivar that we can get our hands on. Right. Yeah, last year we grew some Angolans, Thais, Panamanians, a bunch of land race stuff. And and you know, uh yeah, incredible, man. You know, the 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 longest of the Panamanians were like 24 weeks into flower. It went through three different flower cycles to finish out. Uh and it tested at 18%. It's like smoking in a time machine, too. It is. It <laughs> is. It is. I mean, it does it, it doesn't have the quality of the look. Right, and the back crosses looked incredible. The stuff that was crossed with our modern Kush strains looked incredible. Well, it doesn't get more stable than that. Yeah, right. So, uh, I, but you know, we were we were actually really surprised at the THC content in it and the CBD content in these in these land races. What what other kind of cannabinoids were you seeing in the land races? You know, the the test we did was was just a, a CBD THC 
um, uh, uh, and and terpenoid test. Because that's something that really interests me. I, you know, I'm curious to see you know what exactly we've uh, we've bred out of these babies. Oh, it's so true, man. You know, we've been we've been working in in America and in and in Europe in such a small gene pool. I mean, in in Europe. Uh, skunk and afghan really ruled the breeding market through throughout the 80s and 90s and as as breeders and growers we talk about the european skunk look and then in the u.s uh also for the past 20 years kush has really dominated the genetics man i love it bro afghani guy one of yeah. my favorite, uh, favorite, favorite, favorite. Well, you're from the land of Kush, Florida. Yeah, Florida's yeah. the land of Kush. Triangle Kush, shout out. Yeah, yeah, I love, love the Triangle Kush. And, and we actually had that cross of the, the Panamanian and the Angolan and Thai. Oh. Yeah, um, um, got got those uh, those land races from Charlie Garcia. I don't know if any of you guys know that guy out there, but great land race source. Um, but it, it has... Uh, it makes the diversity difficult to see when it's all Kush or when it's all skunk. Sure. But sure. we're it, it's changing now. It is. Right? There's a lot of strains out there. Oh, and, and, sure. and a lot of uh, fruit and food-centric um, turf profiles that we're going after. Um, and, and, you know, I respect it. I agree with that. Um, but, God, there's nothing like a, a nice bag of... of of freshly cultivated San Fernando Valley OG. Dude, totally. Oh, man. These are the things that, I I mean, I hope everyone out there understands. Uh, You know, there's just really nothing like those those tried and true um, genetics. Man, you know, specifically the San Fernando, um, the first... I met Josh, the... Yeah, Josh. Josh and... 2002 Josh in D Germany. Josh is, is killing it out in California right now. And, uh, big uh, big he, ups to Josh. He, he was like, hey, have you ever heard of Kush? And I was like, you mean like Hindu Kush? And he was like, no, not really. And he broke out this nugget and it smelled so good, man. Oh my God, I'd never smelled anything quite like that. And so we went back to California and I immediately tried to get these strains, right? Nobody at the time was giving this stuff up. Nobody is. Ever. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, I would get I would get weed that people would say was Kush or, oh, I got the OG and we'd grow it and it just wouldn't have that smell, that flavor. And sure. then I'd run back into Josh or one of his other crews down in L.A. and just like, oh my god this is this is it man this i see why people are paying eighty dollars an eighth absolutely a hundred dollars an eighth for it and then then uh, it got out a little bit right and her uh 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 other crosses or other generations of it started to develop and it did dilute the gene pool quite a bit they they trace that back to uh you know i don't know if anybody out there knows the whole uh story with the og kush but og's uh og started as biker weed um and uh, uh I Hell's Angels OG was yes, one of the first names yeah. I heard of it. And uh a one at one batch, uh one one cultivator, a surfer, um cultivated a batch, had some seeds in it and uh they weren't real happy with them. They said, you know, you're going to move these this product and you're going to get what we asked for it. Um so I believe that, that 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 load went out to California and that's where uh that's where the San Fernando Valley came from. Um I believe, um, and that's where it's called. It's we're all it's all it's all derivative of uh, of that that first Kush cross or Kush Kush uh, um, seed pop that came over and into Florida. I believe. Man, this goes. This kind of touches on this theory I have that uh, uh, cannabis wants to cultivate itself, and cannabis is cultivating us. And you can you can have the best, most stable uh, variety in the world. And it will occasionally produce a male flower in yep. order to reproduce because it wants to propagate. Life always finds a way. Life always finds a way, man. And that like little magical one seed, right, like from Sour Diesel or from the OG Kush, like it all came from just one seed. There wasn't a pheno hunt back right. in, you know, 1997, no. 1992. No, there it was, was just like, I got a seed yeah. and I'm going to plant it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> always love that real that real old sour diesel which you can't really it's hard to find at times 
<laughs> you know I got it, man. That yeah. was a good one. That's a really good one. And one of my favorite, also, not even going old, out of Colorado, is that Golden Goat. It's uh, always been a... Not a really a Golden Goat fan, but you know, I tell you, I've got several friends that still grow the original uh, diesel back in California. That Nodi Bali structure oh. diesel, and, baby, yeah. And it is, yes. it is not a modern strain any longer. No. right? It doesn't have it doesn't have that atypical structure that you're seeing on a lot of shelves. Right, it's a, a it, it's not the most popular thing any longer. In in California and Humboldt, like for on a the while, it was just. Sour diesel that you could grow and sell. And then it became like OG and sour diesel. And now it's actually a fruit and fuel. That's how they describe it. Really? Yeah. That's I can a, see the oh, fuel. What do you have? Fruit or rotten, fuel? Maybe rotten fruit. Ro- yeah. Fruit or fuel. Maybe you got fruit or fuel. Uh, man, you know, just so many, so many people, especially people that aren't uh, 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 heavy smokers, like the fruitier stuff. Yeah. Right and and like I mean I'm I consider myself a heavy smoker I like uh, fruity weed occasionally purple punch love purple the flavor on that kind. man yeah. you know but it, it, its effects might not be as as uh, uh, um, effective right it's one really really pretty to look at I, I don't think that there's many trichrome um, um, genetics out there with the the trichrome structure that purple punch has I just saw. Um, somebody cultivating some online, and it literally looks like somebody rolled it around in Keef. And uh, if you're familiar with that Purple Punch strain, you know that's not the case. It, it really does grow out that frosty, but it's one of those ones that just looks it looks a lot better than it smokes. I mean, it I mean, it's got really amazing. high THC yeah, content just, in it, it's but it just it doesn't hit that endocannabinoid system the way an OG does for whatever reason. Yeah. You know? It's a great cross. I've been looking for a purple OG cross for years, and it is the the best one that we found so far. You you have the purple look. It has the purple smell. It grows more like OG. Um, I would prefer to have one that that looked purple but smelled OG, sure. right? Uh, and had that Isn't super that OG high. I know I've been looking for it, man. If you got it out there, bring it to me. Um, I'm in Oklahoma City these days. Uh, <laughs> You know, we laugh about all that, but I'm telling you, when I say this, and people all over the country and the world, like when they 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 stop me, and because I go to these cannabis events everywhere, and that's that's the people who are listening to this podcast, and I get they people break out some of the best and worst weed that you I've ever seen, right? Like you know, and people are like, oh, I've never grown before, or oh, I've been growing for 20 years, or oh, I've been growing for 30 years, and here's my like bad weed, or here's my great weed. And this is my first time grow. Like, What's your go-to excuse when somebody pulls out just some nasty weed? You know, it's really hard. I don't need to answer. Really if somebody hard. comes up to you, sorry guys, ahead of time. I don't, Maybe I, just stare at yeah, it. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. You know, this <laughs> subject comes up all the time because you know I do sell equipment to people, um, and for for years my customers have come up, and I would. Because I'm 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 grew up mostly in humble, and people are really critical there. And your buddies are going to just rag your ass if it's not top notch weed. Sure. And the purchasers, they're only going to buy the best, and they're going to look through your sack of weed. And if every nugget doesn't look exactly the same, they're going to be like, "Oh, there's a leaf there." Shout out to Santa Cruz Mountains. We are the same way. Over yeah, there. yeah, right. All throughout the West Coast and Northern California, Jose, it's, Barry, it's absolutely Barry, like that. You Oakland, have to have the best weed, and many people don't understand what that is because they're in their own environment they're smoking their weed and it is the best weed to them right and, and that's, right? that's that's the cultivator's gift you know uh, um, you work so hard for that product and then you get it and and God, no one can tell you it, it's it's bad. Oh you know? man, I had this guy Jason you King. Your baby. I don't know if you guys know him. He he wrote a couple books or, or or published a couple of books on cannabis several years ago. But he was so proud of this cannabis he had, and he, uh, he brought some over. And you know he was just telling me about his living soil and the organic. And man, I smelled it, and it's just like moldy yeast. Right. And, you know, he's so proud of it because he put so much effort into it. And, you know, we got into it a little bit and I'm like, dude, it smells like yeast and mold. You can't smell that. But like his heart was so into it that he could not see past that his is his OG Kush and his 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 uh, Tangy was brown and rotten because he had put so much effort into it. It's time mm. too, uh, you know, for 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 sixty to one hundred and twenty days, depending on how you run. If you're you know 
this is all we think about is our plants and as a garden. There's a lot of passion that goes behind it. So yeah. much. But, it's, you know, th- that's what I, I love what I do is we're able to see so many different facilities or grows. And you can see what everyone's doing. And there's a couple things you could be like, hey, you probably should change that. But it's hard to tell somebody when you put all that passion. It's almost like you have to let them incept the idea. You start yeah. here, and then a few weeks later, they're down the road. They're like, hey, I just tried this and this out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, great idea. But that's where you want people to grow. And, and, and it's not rocket scientists, but it, it is a lot of time, passion that For goes sure. into it. So back to your question. So here's what happens. Somebody comes up with a, a, a poor quality or maybe a, a C-grade weed, because that happens more than more than not. And it's often... a, a um, new people or private people in the industry and they 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 bring this weed up and they're very proud and they're like say oh what do you think about it right so i look at it and i immediately ask i i try to find the best thing about it instead of the worst thing as my california upbringing would say right so i'm like oh well the nugget size looks great and it 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 looks like this hasn't been packaged and pressed into each other what were your problems right and then that usually opens the door right and then i can start talking to them about because we always spoke about the harvest issues and you know the processing issues and i can start talking to them about that uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen so much weed over time and I know so many of the varieties. I can look at, at cannabis and tell you how off you were on your harvest times. So we immediately start talking about like, oh, when did you pull it? Right. And I really try to have now try to have this like this is how you can do it better if you're really into this. Man, on the other aspect, though, you've got the guy who shows up and they sell every single gram of weed they have for $50 an eighth. They are crushing it. All of their customers say, oh, man, I love your weed. 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 And they really get their feelings hurt. Right. Because they have so much emotional support and so many people tell them they're great. But when the reality is those people just want to keep getting a sack. Yes. Right. Right. And it's It's convenient. convenient. And, you know, throughout Colorado, we see this. And until a couple of years ago, when the market really started to dip, nobody gave a shit. People were like, green trim, dry it as quick as possible, get it out on the shelf, like mechanize it, get it out there. But that became a glut. The market changed a little bit, and people started to improve their quality of weed. And the first thing they did, the first thing people started to do to improve the quality of the weed is stop green trimming it, dry the plant, and doing dry trimming curing the plant those those were the things that people picked on and man that really like changed things because colorado is king of 64 days they harvest everything in 64 days it's nine weeks 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 and you know i i I believe that uh uh, every weed has its time and sometimes it's 62 days and sometimes it's 70 days and that can differ from cycle to cycle cycle to cycle man yeah I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, right it's there. it's all it's it's about the holistic uh, 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 journey that the plant has from clone to harvest or seed to harvest, and you it's hard to SOP that. Even though you have to sometimes, right. I get it, I yeah. get it. But at, that was my next point. Even yeah. though you have to, but you know, at a 70 day crop, if you can be on it, like you were saying the early earlier today, you still get five pulls a year. Right. Most people don't get five pulls a year. No. Right, but at a seventy-day crop, you can get five days, at five yeah. pulls a year. Five pulls, five and a half pulls, six pulls if you're some sort of magician. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's also based around your staff and how things, you ha- how you have things dialed in, and how you're scaled out. And this is this is this is where uh, our CEO Dan has really, 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 really changed my life. He he is an operations guy. Um, mm-hmm. Systems are everything. You cannot do anything without a system. And, it's uh, true. and, and, you know, really early on in, in this journey through, uh, um, the cannabis industry, we were, we were in and out a lot of grows and, and 
they're just hanging out. You know, it's Wasting not time. wasting time. It's not, there's no system to it. There's no operation to it. When it comes to harvest Call time, away. they harvest them different every single time. They dry them different every single time. They grow them different every single time. There's no structure. There's no system. There's no operation. And if you want to be successful on a large scale, there is absolutely no question in my mind. You got, you, I mean, you got to run a schedule. You, you know, your schedule's got to be your life. Your system's got to be your life. Your oh, operations absolutely. have to be your life. One of, one of the story I tell all the time is I had two customers come into our store in 2010 in Colorado. They both had the same amount of money, the same size grow facility, and the same kind of idea. One group, they hired eight people to run their, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, I'll say it's 100 lights, right? And the other group hired two people to run their 100 lights. And the eight eight employee company um they wanted to expand and get bigger and have more employees and they ended up with like 40 50 employees and the other people they just kept the two employees and multiplied their grow rooms right and so they ended up just crushing it over time and are 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 some of my favorite stories for sure because they literally have you know 180 lights that one guy runs and then the other 180 lights one other guy runs right and like you know that's 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 really efficient you know it is but i think that there you know there's there's a big downside to that as far as consistency with the end product um Oh, yeah, those guys have their issues, too, yeah. and uh, uh, that's for sure. But one of the things they do for that is they only harvest the best weed for flower, and the yeah, rest of it goes to extraction. Sure, sure. Right, and so their bud looks great it's most in, of the time, it's, man. It's the uh, grower select. It is, dude. It is. It is. You know, when you talk about, like, even the, the, the good bud, that's the one lacking part in some of these foreign markets. Absolutely. Because the end product, one... The best weed in America, I mean, the best weed in the world is in America. That That's not, I'm not being biased. You heard that. it here, folks. Real dirt. Not the real dirt, biased. the best weed in the world is in America. It, it is. And I'm not saying that in other places it won't catch up to this, but mm-hmm. it's the infrastructure behind it. And well, it's culture, too. Culture yeah, I, was, also, I was just about, I'm really glad you made that point. I was yeah, just about to say. Because exactly. in Europe, people still blend the cannabis oh, with tobacco. For Man, sure. I'll tell you what. In we Denmark, smoked a blendo yesterday with an Irish dude. In Denmark, they think that they invented the hash spliff. They call them uh, Danish joints or Danish spliffs, something like that. They are so proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes down to it, you know, the hash that they're smoking is cut with henna. It's maybe 10% THC. Or dirt. Or, or, yeah, right. It's just, and it's like... <laughs> You know, that connoisseur culture, I believe, was cultivated in California, Colorado, Absolutely. Oregon, Washington, but ma- mainly Colorado and California. It all started in California, I believe. Um, you know, we it turned us into wheat snobs as an industry. Um, Absolutely. Which is really great for the consumer, really bad for people who don't know how to cultivate. You know, that, that product essentially, you know, you cultivate a subgrade product, it becomes a paperweight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at the extract markets, that's very new outside of the states. I mean, there was a study, I think, in the late 90s that 95 plus percent of all cannabis was consumed via flour, right? And that same study, if because that was a global like test. But if you look at the U.S. market right now, it's 50%. Fl- yeah, it's going down. I know I took some vape cartridges a few years ago to the Swiss Alps skiing, and yeah, I didn't I didn't pay for skiing for three weeks passing those cartridges out. They have never seen it, and they loved no. it. I was like, oh, right. Europe, Europe is hash culture. Is. Very, very big hash culture. So are, are you guys doing concentrates or extracts there because of that? Um, Has the dabbing market hit? No, Europe? no. They've never heard of a dab. Uh, no, if wow. you did a dab in front of a European. They uh, would think you're smoking crack. They would absolutely, absolutely. think that you were freebasing some sort of hard drug. Um, <laughs> They'd be you sitting know, on the couch for quite a while. Right, sure. right, right, right. And the ones that do know honestly are terrified of it because of that same reason they, mm-hmm. they've hit that couch oh, lock point yeah. and that paranoia um uh when they have tried it because you know they haven't seen anything that strong before and 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 then you know that that age-old question with concentrates comes out right from them you know an, un- an uneducated consumer they go why does it need to be that strong <laughs> and you gotta think most product that you know for like what we're doing as far as a company like that's the rec side that's i mean it's illicit right but we all know it's there 
when you're looking at the legal market, the products are distributed through like pharmacies. Right, and you, I mean, you asked, so it's it, a totally different. Are they doing extraction in Europe? Yes, they they are. Um, but those products are going. The extracted, the raw extracts are going into intermediate products. Uh, at least edibles. in the market that I'm familiar. Not edibles yet. Um, from what I'm familiar with, I'm I'm you know. I'm versed in, in the, the Danish structure, the Danish pilot program, and I don't see that they will allow edibles for the foreseeable future unless it goes recreational, which there's talk about. Um, That's funny because, man, meta, edibles are one of the most medicinal right. aspects they, of, they're, of They're cannabis. going towards like THC, THCA tablets. Um, there might be some decarboxylated tablets and stuff like that, but it's uh, inhalers, uh, no no, uh, no vape cartridges as we it's know. It's more pharmaceutical based, yeah, it's, like the API that you need to have on Cannabis that. has grown as a medicine under law. Um, so it, everything is, is pharmaceutical centric, um, from the way it's cultivated all the way to the end product for the consumer. But the uniqueness on the uh, medical side of that is, which is something that we should be doing in the States is the government subsidizing it. Insurances are picking this up. Yep. Oh yeah. Ganja farmers need insurance, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you saw, I don't know if you guys saw on the news, Los Sueños, uh, they're the largest producers in Colorado. They've got a 40 acre outdoor cannabis facility, lost half of their crop this year because of a freeze. Oh. Now, if you're a can- carrot farmer, if you lose half your crop, you've got insurance on it. Yeah, the, the well, there's there's a few farms that got hit heavy this year. That was kind oh, of yeah. freaky snow. But when we, even when I say the insurances are picking up, the, it's a medical product. Yeah, he was he was like talking more about healthcare style. Mm-hmm. The healthcare oh, oh, yeah. system. Oh, we, so, we do so have some, crop insurance on your. Yo, you've got crop. Well, that's yeah. great, man. Yeah. Well, your your Europe's always been a little bit more progressive on that type of thing. Yeah, I, I have to I have to plug Europe right now and really do do. Um, have to give it to them. They have been um, really, really good with the legislation. Um, really good. Like when we were when we were first started out in Denmark. Of course, we didn't know, um, you know, how to even <laughs> order a sandwich there. I shouldn't say that. They all speak English, but everything's different in a new country. You guys have traveled a bit, you know. Um, have you picked up Danish? Uh, no, I uh, I downloaded Duolingo for about a day, <laughs> and then I realized that it was a lost cause. Um, it's uh, it's an extremely hard language to. Uh, to, to learn um, and I'll put it like this there's parts of Denmark Italy's the same way but there's parts of Denmark where they can barely communicate with each other because their dialect is so different so different yeah um, absolutely but the, you know they learn English so young over their second third grade they're pretty much uh, on the road to be fluent and then you know fifth sixth grade they're picking up another language um, I think when you look into these but when you go into these other governments is the government's actually really accepting to your help. They're looking for real when expertise. We, when we put a phone call out, that's where I was going with that. When we when we put a phone call out to the Danish government, they picked up the phone. We were Great. talking to someone Great. on yeah. the third ring. Yeah, right. like in these Latin Hey, can countries. we do this? Hey, can we do that? How do we structure this? How do we structure that? They were there. But, you know, that I think a lot of that may have come with, you know, having one of the first few licenses. I think we were license number two on that project in Denmark. Mm, sure, um, sure. So... We basically got a license, and they said, uh, we'll let you know as far as regulation and cultivation and, and cannabis intermediate products. So, you know, of course, as business people, we're trying to jump the gun and, and, and get everything going as fast as possible. So we're on the phone with them all the time, and they were awesome. They picked up. So let me, let me ask you guys a question here. What is the, the – the, and this is how I end so many of our, our shows. What is the, the future of international cannabis? Well, the future is trying to legalize every country. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say right. the end game for it is that recreational legalization um, and uh, import export from and to the United States. Let's uh, let's get everybody that that much closer. Let's get good product and good genetics in the hands of capable cultivators and 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 make the world a better place. Yeah, designing and crafting the regular the regulatory environment behind it and trying to mold the laws with the ideologies of each country and getting it set up in such a way it's sustainable, right? From not so much in a green perspective as a business, it's working, there's tax revenues and there's good things you can do. But at the end of the day, let's just get uh, medicine to patients because a lot of these governments are very interested into it, but they need, they just need to have their hands held to explain to them with the right people that this isn't going to bring a bad stigma. Absolutely. And that's, that's the big, that's the, big impression I get um, when talking about the politics behind cannabis in Europe is they don't want to be the next Canada. 
they thought they wanted to be the next Canada when they brought all, all these programs, then they see the downfall and, and problems. I'm not going to mention any companies' names or anything like that, um, but there's a big one in the news right now. And, and I mean, they've barred, they've barred all Canadian products from the country of Denmark because of that. And they will for a while until they figure that out. Getting the bad players out. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that this company is a bad player, but doing it right, you know, they're bringing in illicit stuff into a regulated market. And that's the thing with this, all these standards and, and paperwork trail that you actually have to have to produce this. There's a checks and balances and they're going to find out about it. And it gives people like us or other companies a bad name when we're trying to get this industry off the ground in right. the right way. So how, how long before we have like true international exportation of, of cannabis? Out of the U.S. or into the U.S.? Into the U.S., out of the U.S., into, think, into Canada, out of Canada, into Europe, out of Europe. I think as far as um, on a political side, these scheduling is going to happen very fast. Here um, in the U.S., these schedules going to yeah, happen. So I'm not going to say the psychoactive part of it will be able to really come in and out, but I do think the uh, medical products, as true like medical mm-hmm. you know, identified products will be able to come in the U.S., Fairly soon, probably in the next five years, um, maybe next administration. But the international market, it, I mean, it's coming on heavy for sure. I don't think it'll be recreational. They're already, move, they're already moving hemp around. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, and, you know, with those infrastructures in place, uh, I think it's just going to take um, a good push. For the, poli- for, for the political side of things, I think that, that that's all we really need over there is one, uh, one or two really good pushes and uh, and open up those floodgates. Having the FDA and USDA start writing the laws that they're working on right now because of this emerging CBD market that's going on is going to help push a lot. And the descheduling and getting this banking bill passed, mm-hmm. it, it's going to open quick. Once, once that point happens, you're going to see a lot of movement, a lot of movement. So d- does, does this mean in the U.S. that uh, big business is taking over? Do you see a place for the small farmer, the small producer? I think it goes both ways on that. Um, big business is already taken over in America. I mean, you're saying... That's what America's about. Yeah. It, I mean, it, 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 it's something I, I, I struggle with because I see both sides of it. And, and, and being having a small business in that at one time, you see it. But there will always be that niche for it. Like even as the flower market kind of drops down and you got these ancillary products of extracts or whatever you do, you're going to have that small, I don't want to say boutique because that can still be big by relative terms, but you're going to have those individual growers that are, that are doing exactly what they do in such a way it's going to be hard to produce, kind of like your microbrewery style. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see that operate on the international side for a long time. Yeah, the, the craft cannabis market is not going to be there in, in Europe for a while, I don't think. The American market's going to stay very unique for that. And, I mean, it's a good. That's what, that's what we're proud of. We've done it. We've been all these genetics and strains. This is so unique what we have over here. America. But it's very different than what's going to happen. But on, but on the flip side, we can bring a lot of that uh, sure. over there. And that's where, that's where a lot of our, um, our value lies, I believe. And that was, my, that was, that was our team's first, first thing in Denmark. Yes, we're going to be the first ones out there. We built the, the largest uh, facility in the country at the time. I think there's some bigger ones out there now. Um, and, and, and everyone else was focused on getting as much product out the door as they could and getting it to market first. And, you know, we were pretty quick uh, on that as well. But, but our main focus was that quality, that, that, uh, that NorCal style um, technique of growing that, that we've, uh, we've grown to know and love as cannabis consumers. Um, that's our big thing. Mm. We want to bring that over there. Bring in the real expertise, and I mean, there's a lot of good growers all over the world. Or, and I say expertise, bringing our ideas, which is different, you know, from from <laughs> totally. some of the stuff they've stayed on. Because we're fortunate, and people like you, Chuck, McGunner, we, we're able to see so many different situations mm-hmm. that you're able to adapt and craft ideas and tailor them for each individual person. And that could be a five minute conversation. It could be working with you for a little bit, but Absolutely. you can your ideas and ideology change. It's just good to learn from other people too, because you can learn some pretty cool ideas, and you when you see the simplicity of what they've done outside. No, absolutely, man. We're well, we're all different, man. It's just a huge, crazy world we live in. Cultures are different. Our perceptions are different. 
uh, and different markets are going to acquire different cannabis and different cannabis products because of all that. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm really surprised to hear that the concentrate culture hasn't taken off in Europe because previously in the U.S. there wasn't a hash culture. It was just a flower culture. And, uh, you know, before that it was just a hash culture. Um, but uh, it, it's now it's changing, like you said earlier, 50% of the people um, are... Uh, It's just always really remarkable at, you know, what people want out, out of cannabis, whether it's concentrate or whether it's it's flour, whether it's a joint or whether it's a dab or whether it's an edible or a gummy or an extract. And it's all just the different cultures. And we're all physically different, too, as humans as well. And it reacts different to our bodies. Yeah, there's a there's a, there's something out there for everyone. Absolutely. Well, hey, I really appreciate both of you guys stopping by on this uh, rainy Atlanta uh, morning. Uh, thank you. Thank you for giving me your Saturday morning. Uh, uh, Gunnar, I really hope we get to chat more about Denmark and cannabis in Europe. And Ted, you always have fascinating stuff going on internationally. And I, and I know we got some stuff to talk about, about uh, the U.S. coming soon. But thank, thanks both of you guys. for Yeah, I appreciate it, Chip. It's always good hanging out with you. Thanks, Chip. And thank you for listening to the Real Dirt Podcast. If you like this episode or others, download them on iTunes or Spotify. We are the Real Dirt Podcast. You can also look us up on therealdirt.com. Stay high. So at the beginning of the episode, I was talking about some of the cool stuff my friends at Left Coast Wholesale have been working on. And I wanted to specifically talk about a new nutrient product they have called Geoflora. I was really surprised when I talked to the guys over there and they explained how simple this new Geoflora line is. There's a lot of expensive and high-end synthetic nutrients out there that work really well, but this is a great organic way to do it. I'm telling you, man, this Geoflora line is just really high quality. Stay high.